Hello and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, local Olympian Miranda Melville shares her road to the Olympics. While hanging out in her hometown of Rush, New York, after spending a few weeks in Rio, Miranda popped over to College Town to visit the Rochester Running Company and uh, chat with a few people and go for a group run. I was at that group run, too, with a microphone. So Miranda and I hung out on the benches in the store, and we had a little chat. During the conversation, Miranda teaches uh, me a bit about race walking. Uh, She shares some of her story growing up as an athlete in Rochester, talks about how being in a niche event is both good and bad for opportunities, and then uh, gives us some some behind-the-scenes info on the Olympic Village. Miranda is sponsored by Skechers Footwear and the New York Athletic Club, and we talk about how she got sponsored, as well as Rule 40's effect on athletes and their sponsors. You know, the rule that doesn't let athletes or their sponsors talk about each other in the context of the Olympics. Uh, so speaking of sponsors, I mentioned that Miranda and I chatted during her visit to the Rochester Running Company. Well, our first sponsor for this episode is the Rochester Running Company. It's a new store in town located on Mount Hope Avenue in College Town, focused on being a social hub for runners. Visiting the Rochester Running Company is a lot like a great run. Once you experience it, you want to do it again as soon as possible. Whether it's for the friendly staff, the cool brands like Salming, Skechers, and 361 that you can't find anywhere else, or the clean towels and cold water after one of their frequent and free group runs. You just can't get enough. Additionally, their Facebook page is full of hustle and bustle with many pop-up runs or running-related activities constantly being discussed and organized. Bring your friends, bring your running group, make some new friends, and meet other running groups. Rochester Running Company. Run our city together. Uh, As always, you can find links to some of the things Miranda and I talk about, as well as links to the episode sponsors, Rochester Running Company and Josh Stratton. More on him later, including then a coveted $15 off code. On the episode show notes uh, in your podcast player or on the website located at runninginsideoutpodcast.com slash 037. Please read them. They're handcrafted, artisanal show notes made right here, locally sourced in my own home. I uh, appreciate if you check them out, and then you can do some research and get educated, you know, or just look at pretty pictures. Uh, And with that, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of Rochester runners. Okay, so, Miranda, you're back from Rio. Yes. <laughs> How exciting. Um, and here we are in the Rochester Running Company studios. <laughs> yes. Whole new studio to be in. Come nice. On. Lots, and, lots of echoing. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's like a concert hall. Yeah, there you go. Good acoustics in here. (laughs) Make do with what we can. Um, Okay, and so the fun and interesting thing to talk about is you went and uh, participated in the Olympics. Start to finish, soup to nuts, right? Yes, right, yeah, from (laughs) opening ceremonies all the way through closing and a couple days there before and after and finally Mm -hmm. 
it was time to say goodbye to the beautiful land of Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> yeah, and now looking at your Twitter feed, you had a blast in yeah. Rio. <laughs> like, it was just a full stream of positivity. Yes. Well, I think that it's, I think that it's hard not to be positive during the Olympics. You know, you have so many great things going on, and you can easily pick out things that could have been negative. And I think that a lot of people will look at that, and, and I think the media a lot of times is looking for that because they are looking for that story. Mm -hmm. But I think that takes away from everything great that is going on while you're there, yeah. which is really so many countries coming together to compete and it's the best of the best. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're getting entertained watching, you know, so many people who have sacrificed so yeah. much to be at that point. Yeah, exactly. All the work leading up to that. Yes. Which, which we're going to cover. So <laughs> <laughs> we have plenty of time to talk about all your work leading up to that. So you were in the 20K race walk, yes. right? And how many people were in the 20K race there walk? There were 74 people entered. 74 people entered. Mm -hmm. And there was a couple did not start, right? And no, then... it was, uh, there were a couple that did not finish and a few that uh, were DQ'd. So right. um, I think it ended up being maybe can't completely remember. I think 68 ended up finishing. And two from America? Yep, two from the U.S., yes. Yep. Okay, so one of those was you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, so race walking, uh, I've learned, I've become well-versed in preparation for this. Um, mm -hmm. Prior to this, I knew that you always had to have one foot on the ground. That's what I knew. Yes. Right. And then the other side is the whole straight leg thing. Right? Yes. So like you said, one foot has to be on the ground at all times, according to the human naked eye. And the other rule is that when your lead leg hits the ground and your heel hits the ground, um, your knee needs to be straight until that leg has passed the body. And then you can bend it to bring it back through and follow through with your strides. Right, so you always have like that straight leg. Yes, always. Right? Which is much different than running, which in the case of running, you're trying to get both of your feet off the ground yes. at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the other cool thing I learned about race walking was people give you penalties, right? And yes. we talked about this a little <laughs> bit. Like you could be going around just walking your heart out and turn a corner and find out that like you're disqualified. Yes, they do have a DQ board up that should notify you if you have um, so many indiscretions. And so uh, you have about seven judges at the Olympics there and they rotate and they, you know, they're, they're watching everybody and they'll give you a paddle saying whether you're for lifting off the ground or if uh, you have a bent knee. And so you will get some type of warning. And then if you get three red cards from three separate judges, um, that is when the head judge will come out and disqualify you from the race. So you could be, you know, 18K in of a 20K race, and that's when it happens. It could happen in the last 200 meters. Right. You, or it could happen, you know, right away in the first 5K. You know, right. it, it just depends on your day. Uh, if, I got, if I got judged on my running form, <laughs> like, like if somebody's like, you're not allowed to run today, that's a little bit crappy of a form. I'd never get to run. Like, I'd be, I'd be out. Um, okay, so... This is pretty interesting in the sense of race walking and running and just the differences there. But there's so much about this that I, I find in like the path to race walking. Yes. How did you decide on race walking and how did you get into it? And uh, were you athletic and all of it? So all the going the way back machine to uh, little Miranda, <laughs> <laughs> little Miranda Melville. How did you? What's your like first athletic memories? What 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 when my you think first, about that? My first athletic memories are really just. Um, I used to go to a private school that was here in Rochester, and it, it's not here anymore. It used to be called Our School, O U R, 
um, and um, it was a very small private school and they had a running club for all us crazy little kids in elementary school and you ran around Cobbs Hill Park a ton and um, you know different parents came out and helped their kids run and that's probably my very first memory was you know it started there like you just were doing that so that you would sit quietly in class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, so, wow, so you're just running around in circles at Cobbs Hill and you decide that you like that? And well, then, um, then I went to middle school and, you know, I had to be a little more invested in sports. So, like, most, I think, um, most U.S. kids, you get into soccer, you want to be, like, this really great soccer player, you think that it's mm -hmm. this really great intense game and you're running up and down the field and, um, you know, you're practicing your hand-eye coordination, and I really enjoyed soccer. Um, and then when I was going to high school, um, we decided kind of last minute to put me in public school. And so because of that, I kind of missed the tryout period for soccer that fall. Oh, yeah. So I didn't have a sport in high school that fall, and I really missed it. And so when winter came around and I was planning to do lacrosse in the spring, I decided to do indoor track. I knew my brother did indoor track. Um, other family members of mine had done indoor track, so I decided to do it. And um, I wasn't like anything, some outstanding star or anything. They just had me trying numerous events. I was pole vaulting. I was running the 400. I tried running like the 55 meters or, you know, lots of little short things. And they realized, yeah, you're a distance person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they realized, uh, they're like, hey, we need kind of points in this event. We don't have anybody else doing it. Do you want to try race walking? And so I did. And actually, at my very first race, I got disqualified because I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really, you know, it was very briefly taught me what um, the technique was. And I wasn't quite doing it right. So I was super upset by that. And I decided like that next week when we had another meet, I was going to do it again and I was going to get it right. And so uh -huh. that's kind of like what sparked it all, I suppose. <laughs> so it was a, a strict adherence to the rules that, that yes. drove you. Like, I'm going to get these rules down. Yes. <laughs> and you went to school in, in Rush Henrietta High School, yes. right? Yes. So Rush Henrietta High School has a race walking team. So what it is is Rush, Rush Henrietta has your normal track and field uh, sport in high school and it's all of New York State has uh, race walk in indoors okay. for track and field. So it's only really in New York state that we have this. It's a 1500 meter race for the girls. There's no boys race. I think that they can do it if they want to do it, but it's mm -hmm. strictly for the girls. Um, and so there, from there, we don't see it as much in the college programs cause it's not in the NCAA programs and it's only in NAIA programs. So most people who end up race walking either are from New York state and they're girls okay. by chance. And they don't usually go to uh, an NCAA program. They end up going to an NAI if they want to continue in this in this sport sport or event. Um, but I mean, you get some other people. There are there are a good group of like race walkers down in the southern Texas area. There's some that you get out of Maine. There's some you get out of like the New Jersey area. But for the most part, it is New York State based. Wow, that's interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like we grow so many interesting things in New York, and one of them is race walkers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apples, race walkers. That's cool. Um, so you're you're doing that in high school. Did you do other sports then? Once the year came, so you you nailed the rules. You didn't just get disqualified from your second meet yes and then when the year came around and you could re-up for soccer or something like that did you just go right into race walking um so when the spring came and I was looking for lacrosse I tried out for lacrosse and I ended up making the freshman team and I really didn't enjoy tryouts I mm. missed running and so I kind of just 
didn't show up to lacrosse practice ever. I just <laughs> kind of ditched out and went to track and field and was like, I think this is where I want to be. And yeah. that's, yeah. And so I never really went back to doing any other sports. I just stuck with running and race walking. Mm -hmm. Wow. So now you have your sport yes. right? and you're on, you're on the track and field team. Mm -hmm. And did you do any other events inside of the track and field team? Yeah, um, I did the 3,000 meter run, and then I did the um, two kilometer, or two th yeah, 2,000 meter steeplechase. I loved steeplechase. I wish I was faster at it back then and better at it, but race walking requires you to be as low to the ground as possible, and steeplechase requires you to hurdle over barriers and water jumps. So yeah. they're a little bit opposite. Um, but I, I definitely love trying different events. I tried to pole vault still through my sophomore year and I was not very good at it, mm -hmm. but just I thought pole vaulting was so cool and I was like, yeah. I wanna keep trying. So I think that one of the best things about track and field is because there are so many events, you really get to try a little bit of everything and see what your niche is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like, so this is one of, the, one of the random questions I had was, I feel like if they imposed race walking rules mm -hmm. on some other events, <laughs> Like they'd be like, what do you think would be harder? Like pole vaulting or like the vault in gymnastics, right? If you had to, if you had to do the race walking rules, if you had to get your running start by race walking. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know because they both kind of require you to jump up at the end. I don't know. That's a really tough question. Yeah, there'd have to be a line wherein like then you could lift both your feet yeah. up. Yeah. That's, I don't know. I feel like you just need so much speed too for both. I don't know if you could get the speed you need trying to carry a pole to then put it into <laughs> the ground and push yourself up as opposed to you might be able to, to vault in gymnastics. I don't know. That's, mm -hmm. I'd be interested to see somebody do both. Give it a try. <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, like it could be the race walking event, yeah. <laughs> you know, bring those pole vaulters down a level. I yeah. Think. <laughs> You know, they have that, I think they have like a minimum height requirement for pole vault. Like you have to be six feet tall in order to be a great pole maybe, vaulter. Maybe for the guys. I don't know. I don't know. I met some guys that are just under six feet and, you know, some of the girls are, they're not over six feet tall, but they're, they're all built very similarly and they're all very jacked and I think they're all good looking people. So I think there, there is some type of criteria there. There's, there's a form you have to fill out. <laughs> pictures need to be submitted. Okay, so now that we've covered my, my burning question of like, what would it be like to, to have to race walk all the events? Because I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, hurdles obviously is a near impossibility. You couldn't, yeah. do, like you'd have to like get over one lift, level yeah. one leg over, but anyways. Okay, so where do, where I got sidetracked a little bit, <laughs> dreaming about this land here. Um, okay, so as you're doing this in high school, um, is there is, like people whispering in your ear like, hey, you're getting really good at this. I would say not really, because it is a rule that you're not really supposed to, colleges aren't supposed to talk to um, the high school athletes until they're seniors. And so um, I would say like, I kind of knew I was getting better as I was getting better at qualifying for state qualifiers and towards states. And mm -hmm. so I knew, and I could see my times getting faster and faster and I was seeing the progress I was making. But I would still say I was an, a high school kid, just like going through the motions, getting up mm -hmm. early, going to school. Um, sitting through your classes, doing your homework, going to practice, then going home, doing more homework, eating dinner, doing it all the next day. Mm -hmm. I don't think like I really hit me what I was going to do until I was getting towards the end of my junior year and had to start preparing for colleges and college applications and what I wanted to do. Um, I mean, there was definitely 
coaches that kind of like wrote my mom saying like, oh, she should try going to um, some of these other meets outside of New York and working towards it. But I, when my mom would bring it up to me, I'd be like, no, 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 I'm not interested. You know, I want to hang out with my friends. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there could have been more progress there if I had taken it a little more seriously. But I was happy being, you know, 15, 16 years old and running around Rochester. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe if you would have worked a little harder, you could have, like, made it to the Olympics or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, you know. <laughs> if you just would have applied yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you said you were, um, you were running and race walking. And was, did you find, like, there became a, a conflict between, like, I want to go run, but I have to train for my track and field race walking? I would say my coach kept it pretty balanced. Like, you know, he wasn't, he wanted you still to be to enjoy other events that you enjoyed and he wanted to use you when he could use you to get points in certain races um, going up against certain schools. So, um, you know, when it was cross country time, it was 100% running time and that I loved cross country. There's a camar camaraderie that comes with cross country that I don't think you quite get as much in track and field um, just because you're, even though it's an individualized sport, you're scoring as a team more. And, yeah, and even though much. you score as a team in track and field, you're just, you're individualized in all your events. Yeah. So there's just, it just kind of separates a little bit. Once track would roll around, I would want to race walk more, um, especially for indoors because it was so prevalent for indoor track and field. And then once outdoors came, I'd want to keep race walking a bit, but I definitely, like I said, enjoyed running steeplechase. And so I wanted to, you know, run the 3000 and do the hurdles and practice that stuff as well. So I would say, you know, I guess I get torn and, but now that I'm older and now that all I do really is race walking, I look at my running technique. I'm like, I don't want anybody to see me run. It's not, it's not pretty. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I saw it today. It was pretty good. You got good upper body form. I mean, that's pretty good. Thanks. Um, so you were doing cross country. Uh, did you have a favorite place that you used to like to run in the city? Oh, 100% love Menden Ponds. Yeah. There is, you know, we, RH has two courses at Menden Ponds. We have our west course and our east course that we raced on. And I go and run on that all the time. And I don't, even if I don't exactly remember the course anymore, just running through Menden Ponds is beautiful. Whether mm. I'm here in the fall, the winter, the spring, the summer. And if I can't run the trails in the winter when I'm home, I, I love to just go back to Menden Ponds and sled and yep. enjoy the, the area. Yeah, I absolutely love Menden Ponds as well. All my friends joke with me that, like, that's all I do. If they ever, if I'm running and they don't know where I am, they just go to the 10K loop, uh, <laughs> you know, East Esker, and they'll just find me. And I think it's something, too, that people who didn't grow up in, like, really upstate western New York or, like, this Finger Lakes glacier region, they don't mm. understand how how beautiful it really is mm. to run up here. You know, they, yeah. they don't understand how great these parks are. Yeah. And uh, I grew up in Buffalo. And yes. so I didn't even know trail running was a thing like, oh, wow. until my second year of college. I would think there'd be some like trails going around like the lake over there. Uh, well, there's Delaware park, but it's not, uh, it's not really trails. It's okay. like, it's like grass. You oh. know? And I mean, I did run on the cross country team, but the trails that like, if we had to go out to the suburbs mm -hmm. for uh, sectionals or something, yeah, it wasn't like you, it didn't feel you're running on like double wide roads. It wasn't single track like Menden, you know, and up and down hills and stuff. So, but it, it was, um, it was eye opening in college yes. to be like, look at this park. You know? <laughs> like, I never want to leave. <laughs> it's really cool though to uh, Menden is one of those places. I think I said, I've said before to people, if you go to Menden Ponds, either you're going to love it and be like, I want to run here forever, or you're going to think people are crazy that they run there. 
think the only downside to running at Menden Ponds is when it's hot and humid in the summer. And I, I don't know about you, but I get eaten alive, not by mosquitoes, but by the horse flies. Mm -hmm. And they always hit me right in the back where my tank yeah. top, where I like can't yep. reach it. And it, it ends up being like this huge welt and it itches. And it, I, that's the, probably the biggest downfall I would say that happens when you run there. <laughs> yeah. I get them on the back of my triceps, like the back of my arm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. Small price to pay though. Yes. yes. <laughs> Small price to yes. pay for joy. Um, okay, so we'll keep moving forward in the progression of time. Uh, so you're prepping for schools, right? And mm -hmm. you're getting ready to go to college. Mm -hmm. And suddenly race walking becomes a consideration for college. Yes. So when I was finishing up my junior year, in between the summer of junior and senior year, um, you know, my mom suggested that I try to find a school that had race walking in it. And so I was like, oh, I guess I knew a couple just from like, coaches that I talked to briefly that mentioned they had a program and that was like it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, my high school coach said, you know, I'm not really sure what to tell you. I don't really know much about schools that have race walking. So I ended up going to a race walk clinic down in Boston. And um, that's where somebody said to me, you know, you could make the Olympic team one day. And I had never even thought of that, you know? And so they ended up showing videos from the Olympics of previous years of the men and the women's races. And they worked on my technique and they played around with my heart rate. And they, they, they planted the seed of saying, hey, you know, you should keep going because you could make an Olympic team. They never knew if, I, they never said I for sure could. They never said like how fast I was gonna be. They just said, you should keep trying. And so when after that, I was a little more motivated and we started researching schools. And um, because most of the schools I was looking at were SUNY schools or NCAA schools, they didn't have a race walk program. But I wanted to still be able to run for NCAA. I wasn't really interested in the smaller NAI schools. And so um, eventually somebody through word of mouth told me about the school I did end up going to called the University of Wisconsin Parkside. And um, if you don't know, that's located about a no an hour north of Chicago. It's right before the border between Illinois and Wisconsin. Okay. And it's it's a very it's a smaller school. It's right on the lake of Lake Michigan. And um, this was it was a school that was an NAI school, but switched to being Division Two NCAA. And so it still had a coach there that knew how to coach race walking. Wow. And so what happened? It's like it's all lined it up. Yeah, right? it, it did. It perfectly aligned. So it wasn't like a, a bigger school name school to go to, but it had the program I wanted to study. Um, I went out and visited for the weekend, and um, everybody seemed really nice. The coach seemed really great. And so I just kind of was like, well, let's apply, you know, to the schools you thought you're going to apply to, but let's apply here. And when it came down to it, that was the school I ended up choosing. And um, it kind of just kind of kept me on this path that I am on now. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, it just, I look back on it and I really didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I really had no clue what I was getting into going to school in Wisconsin. And when I told my, my best friends that I'm going to Wisconsin, they were all planning on staying in the area and they're like, can't believe you're going so far away and to someplace even colder. <laughs> and, but to me, it seemed like it was going to be okay. And I just kind of jumped in with both feet and was like, let's do this. You're like, I need the cheese curds. Yeah. I need the cheese I curds. I wanted to be a Green Bay fan so yes. bad that I had to live in Wisconsin. You got it. Go get your shareholder ticket. <laughs> but that's interesting, though, because it seems like there was there was a really big pull. It, it pulled you away from home. It pulled you away mm -hmm. from your friends. It pulled you away from NCAA, like big time schools, mm -hmm. all, all four. So you started to realize this is kind of a big thing. 
Yeah, and so the crazy thing was is my freshman year of college is in high school, you're racing only 1,500 meters, just barely a, uh, under a mile. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was going to be racing a 10K. <laughs> so I was making this huge jump of racing um, 1,500 meters in high school to racing a 10K. Um, and that's the distance race you do if you're still a junior um, under, uh, under the age of 20 and um, for USA Track and Field. And so I went to, you know, I trained for that and ran cross country in college. And then um, that summer after my freshman year, I went to uh, my first na um, USATF nationals. It was in Columbus, Ohio. It was 2008. So a lot of people, all the, all the, there was the juniors doing their thing and everybody else was training for 2008 Olympics. So wow. it was an interesting time to be training. Uh, so I, I, ha I knew people that were training to try and make uh, Beijing that year, but I obviously wasn't quite there yet. I wasn't ready to do a 20K in any means. And um, I won nationals that year and I got to make the uh, USA versus Canada meet that was held in um, British Columbia. I had to think about it for a second. I was yeah. like, was it Vancouver or British Columbia? Um, and so Vancouver and uh, I won that meet as well. And there, I also qualified that year for my first big, really big international trip, which was um, the USA, or not the USA, the the World Race Walking Cup, which was held in Russia. So I actually, wow. when it was finals for, for school that spring, I was taking most of mine early and um, competing in Russia <laughs> as, as a junior as at 19. Like having, so I, that statement that you just said, like, <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting into. Nope. <laughs> like, I had no idea what I was doing. Nope. I just was going with it. And I, so from Rush to Russia, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Like <laughs> and of course, my dad like was like, you're not going to Russia. That's dangerous over there. And I was like, no, dad, it's okay. We're going with a team. It's okay. Um, you know, but I, I mean, I got to, we flew into Moscow. I got to see, you know, the Red Square and the Kremlin. And, wow. you know, at 19, I didn't realize how big some of these things are. And now I've seen those things like three more times. And I think back to, I always though can think back to that first trip being like, yeah, at that time I thought Russia was really cool, and now I don't want to go anymore. I've been there too many times. I'm not really interested in you're going back there. You're over it. But I had a, a pretty successful junior year, I think, of transition. I wasn't anything super fast as a junior still in the 10K, but I was decent, and I think people could see that there was potential still there for the 20K. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, being around people training for 2008 Beijing was even more motivating. And so knowing, too, that I had school, like – there was a good distraction that helps make those four years go fast because you're still focusing on trying to get your degree and train and still be a young 20 something year old figuring out your life. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and I'm thinking like, is there at a point where like, I, I'm thinking if I was going through this, my head would suddenly be spinning. I'm like, what am I doing going to Russia going, yeah. but did it like just, when did it sort of become a normal thing for you to start traveling the world, winning meets and, you know, did it, did you just feel like you just sort of fell into it? It was just a thing. Yeah. I just kind of fell into it. I mean, I traveled a lot with my family growing up. Um, we traveled cross country. We'd been overseas before. And I think that traveling just felt natural to me anyways. And I, I think I'm someone who, you know, grew up listening to Aladdin, like I can show you the world. Uh, like yeah. I'm that person. <laughs> I want to go and see the world. You know, I think when this is all said and done, when I've chosen to, you know, stop competing at the level I'm at, that is going to be the hardest thing to give up is the traveling to have a normal oh, yeah. nine to five job and know that I only have like two weeks paid vacation a year. And that, yeah. you know, that's 
that reality is a little bit scary because so I my coach jokes now that um you're living your retirement while you're young. You know, you're living your retirement at the at the smarter end of your life. See the world. Right? <laughs> wow. So let's get to that. So you were in this college, right? And mm-hmm. you're starting to win. Now you're a big deal. And now you got to go get yourself a big coach, right? So being in college, yeah. So I had to tran- transition after that first year of college. Um, I all of a sudden was in the senior ranks and I had to jump up to a 20K. And so the year after, that was 2009, and so I ended up, you know, having an okay first 20K, and then I did my second 20K ever at Nationals that next summer. Wow. Just just did it. Yeah, (laughs) and I got fourth place, and um, I had another big PR. Uh, And then the next year was not a good year for me. I really struggled. Um, We had me do the rock and roll marathon in Phoenix and race walk it, and I race walked it in close to four hours, and... I killed myself. Like it, mm. I didn't train smart. I didn't eat smart. I didn't do the things that were really necessary. Um, and it, I definitely suffered. My 20K walk that year suffered. So because I had such a rough year that in 2010, I became even more determined to like really show people in 2011, like, hey, I'm not, don't count me out. Like mm-hmm. I'm still here. And so I had a really big breakthrough in 2011 where um, my PR before was like an hour and 44 minutes and like 50 something seconds. And um, I went to one race in Florida and dropped down to 142 something. And then the, later on in the end of June, I dropped down to a 138.01. Wow. And it, so you dropped six minutes in a year. Yeah. And so and I, I, even my coach that I have now, like he even says he was at that race coaching other girls. He was like, I had no clue you could do that. You know, like wow. I didn't expect that of you. I thought maybe you'd walk a 140, but I didn't think you'd walk 138. And it, it was the killer part of it all was I was so still so naive at 21 years old. I'm still so naive that I didn't realize that I didn't calculate my pace correctly. And I didn't realize that if I was just like two seconds faster, I would have had the Olympic B standard like to go. That. And so I was one second <laughs> off of getting an Olympic standard and I didn't even realize it. And so when I finished, I was so happy with my time, but then it occurred to me like 20 minutes later, like, oh my gosh, how come you didn't just push it like two seconds harder? (laughs) Like, what have you done? And so, um, but yeah, like 2011, I graduated college and um, I knew I was gonna need a different coach and someone to work with. And so I was in touch with my now coach, Tim Seaman. And he said, you know, if you wanna be coached by me, you have to move to San Diego. And, you know, I tell my mom that and she's like, oh, move to San Diego. Who wouldn't want to move to San Diego? And, and I was, I was torn at the time because I had some good job offers and I, uh, I wanted to go to grad school right away. And, um, I really wasn't sure what to do. And there are plenty of people who do grad school and, you know, do their doctorates or masters while training, but this wasn't something I wasn't wanting to do quite yet. So I just kind of said, all right, like kind of threw some more caution to the wind and uh, <laughs> moved all the way to San Diego where I knew like three people and that and was it. <laughs> Got to see the world. Yep. Right? <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, so now you're, now you're like at this point, you're, you have a coach, mm-hmm. you're not in collegiate, but you're not like semi-pro or pro. You're just I would kinda, say like an, an elite athlete. It right. was definitely not, definitely not semi-pro or pro. Like mm-hmm. I 
just with somebody who had the potential to get a standard, to get an Olympic standard to go to the Olympics. And I was somebody who had been on multiple USA teams before that I just, we mm-hmm. knew that I had potential. Right, just working towards, yeah. but your goal now, after like hanging, when you were hanging out with people training for Beijing, was mm-hmm. that when you were like, Olympics, that's going to be my thing. I'm going to the Olympics. I think it was more in 2000 and like, 11 when When we were really training for 2012 i was like i want to go to the olympics i really want to go and you know you're training with other people who are trying to make it for the usa and it's it's difficult balance training every day together like you don't want to piss off one another and you want to motivate the other one and you know sometimes one's having a better day than you are and so you're trying to be positive for that person or they're trying to be positive for you and i think that 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 occurred again this year even you know you have that same thing happens where it's every four years all of a sudden you're all competing for there's only so many spots available and your dynamic changes a little bit because you know you're trying to protect yourself while still bringing them up with you but you know you want it more you want you want to want it more than they do yeah i always wondered about that so like i watched the marathon and you know they're all on the marathon team together yes but they know at the end they're not all going yes right and so every day you're competing against your teammates mm-hmm. right at the end and that i you had mentioned that that's different in the u.s than in some other countries like some other countries don't have a whole team and then throw them into a meet to try to qualify Yeah, so the way the U.S. does it to qualify for the Olympics, you have to have um, an IAAF Olympic standard, and you have to be top three on the day at Olympic trials. On that one particular day. On that one particular day. So there can be a lot of pressure for that day. Um, I would say I felt more nervous for Olympic trials, both in 2012 and this year in 2016, than I have for any World Champs, Pan Am Games, Pan Am Cup, World Cup, you know, any other championship Mm -hmm. race. I... You know, it just, I wake up that morning, especially this year, I woke up and usually I eat breakfast before I race and I had the hardest time eating because I was just so nervous. And even though I knew the likelihood of me making the team was pretty high, I just was still really nervous. Like Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get this over with. Like I was at the start line, like snapping my fingers, trying to be like, calm myself down be like, just focus. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because it's one, one day, one performance, one shot. And if that if that heel comes up off the ground too soon, like yep, so uh, and that drawing that line between I got to go as fast as I possibly can and got to keep that heel on the ground mm-hmm. seems like yes. Is it now? Is that something you're always thinking about? Like that's another part that's in my head. Are you always thinking like heel toe, heel toe, or is it just something that just no, becomes rote? That that's very like becomes habitual and natural. Um, that part of the technique becomes very easy. It's more of that you're thinking of, sometimes you have to think about keeping your, sweeping your feet low as you come through, or you need to think about, oh, are my arms coming up too high, or am I crossing them, or are my elbows mm. out coming out too high? You wanna conserve as much energy as you Efficiency. can. Yeah. So like you're thinking more of like your push off maybe, or like how you're gonna take a turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, exactly, efficiency. I'd say those are the, like, as you get more elite in the sport, you're thinking about so many tiny technical things that just, Mm-hmm. conglomerate into one big thing right and so um what's a like what's a common injury that you have or that that race walkers have that might be a little bit different than other sports um i've had plantar fasciitis and i've known a couple other race walkers that have had plantar fasciitis mm-hmm. um a big one that i 
seen, especially this year, um, is hamstring issues. A lot of people get hamstring issues. A lot of people just get little issues in the foot or in the tendon, the peroneal mm-hmm. tendons. Um, because, I mean, you're putting so much emphasis more on the lateral part of your body, not just the mid um, or the medial area. So, you know, things, I mean, you can do things a thousand times, but that thousand and first time, sometimes yeah. something just kind of goes. Yeah. So it's very important to always make sure you're trying to, like, keep a good recovery routine of massage and ice baths and stretching mm-hmm. and rolling out and all that. You know, yeah. you're tra- you may be training for 20-something hours a week, but... Then when right. you add in all the recovery you have to do, you add in like at least another 10 hours a week. Yeah. And then you had, you have, did you have a part-time job or was this your full-time job? I had a part-time job. Um, when I first moved out there, I was just kind of nannying um, and I really enjoyed that. And then the family I was nannying for, because they were in the Navy, uh, they ended up moving away. And so I ended up going back to tutoring and I TA'd in college for math and I also tutored in college for math and psychology and biology. So. I was like, oh, well, let's go back to tutoring. And I ended up working with a company um, and doing SAT and ACT prep tutoring. Okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. So leave college behind, but bring it with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. Right. I, love, I love when I work with those kids because, you know, they have their own goals. And so it's, it's great to be giving back towards working with other people towards their goals. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, they don't have to have an athletic goal, like right. working towards an academic yeah. achievement is just really rewarding to watch their hard work pay off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you and I and saw on your blog that, um, that was kind of a big deal for you when your brother had graduated and you weren't there. You yes. sort of, you wrote a big story about like you had to go, but you didn't really want to go. Yes. So originally, originally this year, our world team championships were not for race walking. were not going to be in Rome. They were going to be in Russia. And because of the whole Russia scandal in doping, um, I know, <laughs> uh, that Russia was stripped of having the race there. So I um, was waiting to see where it was going to be. And there was like four, four major cities and countries that it was going to be in. Um, one of them was Rome. And I said, you know, if it's in Rome, I can't imagine turning that up. Like that is going to be great conditions, great racing. You know, I, I really want to go to that race. Um, if it was going to be in Mexico, in Monterey, I was like, uh, I might skip it. If it was going to be in Ecuador, I was leaning possibly towards skipping it. And there was another one. It might've been, uh, Ukraine might've had it. And I was like, definitely not willing to go to Ukraine for whatever reason at that time. And so, um, it became like, when they announced that it was Rome, you know, I was very feeling very torn on what to do because I really wanted to support my brother and I was so proud of his achievements. And, I just couldn't really decide. And finally, my mom just said, like, I think you should go to Rome. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, if you're telling me to go, then I, I, I am going to go. Right. And um, in 2012, my brother was at Olympic trials with me. But this year, 2016, he was not at Olympic trials. So I think it balanced out that we both missed something pretty big in each other's <laughs> lives this year. Uh, just And we're, we're eight years apart, so our lives are just in very different places. Yeah. So it's just, it was really important though to me that he graduated and, you know, I wanted to make that public and he hates that post. He's like, (laughs) you make me sound so ridiculous. And I'm like, but it's true. Like I'm super proud. And on race day, like I couldn't help but thinking like I may be racing at this time, but three hours prior, he just rocked the stage and I may be racing at this time. And you know, like you're, you're holding back the tears because you're Mm -hmm. like, you even at that moment you're like I have to focus on this race but I wish I was all the way across the ocean yeah 
So he'll be okay with it. <laughs> oh yeah, he'll be okay with it. He came to Rio and he got yeah. to do he got to watch the race there and do the Christ Redeemer statue and experience Copacabana Beach. So he he, he definitely made up for it. Yeah. We made up for being there for each other. <laughs> and your whole family came down to Rio, obviously. Yes, right? yes. That's kind of a big deal. That right? was huge and I was so thankful because it's expensive. They mm-hmm. jack up the prices even more because it's the Olympics, and you're you're like, oh, you know, like I told my parents, like it's okay if you guys can't come, and we're coming. I don't know what you're talking about. We're coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine them turning down the trip. Yeah, know. exactly. Um, okay, so let's, let's get to Rio because it's kind of a big deal, uh, you know, little thing. Um, <laughs> but where did where did so um, part of the Olympics is you weren't allowed to talk about your sponsors and all that, but you know, I'm not, I'm not beholden to, to, uh, any kind of rules like that. So, um, you're sponsored by Skechers, yes. right? And the uh, New York athletic club. Yes. So how did, how do you do that? Do you just like write them a letter someday? Like, do you say, dear Skechers, I love your shoes. Please sponsor me. <laughs> well, that's one way you could do it. Um, for New York athletic club, uh, my coach and, uh, my training partners were already sponsored by New York athletic mm-hmm. club. And they said, if I had, gotten like a sponsor or made a a world team or something like that, that they would sponsor me. So when I had such a good year in 2012, they, they took me on, which I was super grateful for. They're an amazing establishment and they've been around for so long and they're very prestigious. Um, and then just this past year I got with Skechers and I had written for a long time, other running companies and some would talk right back and some wouldn't, you wouldn't get anything back. And so I think because you're a race walker and since track and field itself is so, well, I should say it's just not as popular as a mainstream sport is. Um, and then they hear you do this event called race walking. They're even less apt to want to take you on. And so I kept thinking like, uh, and, and then other race walk, good race walkers, male and female, were not getting sponsorships really. We were all struggling. So um, it just kind of happened that my coach knew somebody who who could get me in with Skechers and Skechers was like, okay, do you want to try our shoes? And I tried their shoes for a while and I said, I really like them. And then we signed a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, the unfortunate thing, like you mentioned, is when you are in the Olympics, there is something called rule 40. And that is where if you are not an, um, an Olympic sponsor or a sponsor, yeah, if you're not an Olympic official sponsor, like um, Omega Watch or Nike or Ralph Lauren, you cannot talk about your sponsors. And so a lot of us get a little upset because, you know, it's so great. They give you so much stuff and gear and you're so appreciative of that. You know, that's part of what making the Olympics is, is getting all this cool stuff. But all of a sudden your sponsor can't even mention like, oh, good luck today to our athlete in this race or in mm-hmm. this, you know, in this yep. event. And I think, you know, you're stripping people of their voice, and I don't think that's right. Well, we could say it now. Skechers, Skechers, Skechers. Yeah, right? exactly. Skechers, <laughs> Skechers, Skechers. Miranda Melvin, sponsored by Skechers. <laughs> yeah. She loves the New York Athletic Club. It's a great place to go. Check it out someday. <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, and I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people that heard a bunch of stuff about Rule 40 and all that. And it, it is silly because it's going to impact companies willingness yes. to help athletes get there. Right. Yes. Like it, it leaves it up to, like you said, Omega, Omega watches and sponsoring athletes. Yeah. They're, they're not looking to find the next yeah. great watch model, mm-hmm. you know, like, so that's a bit of a, a bummer. I mean, I'm sure for some bigger companies that it might be helpful when they can afford the partnership, yes. but yeah, so that's a bummer. But anyways, um, <laughs> 
those Skechers shoes that you're wearing look really nice on you Thank right you. now. Thank you. Yeah, they're like this bright yellow and pink. They kind of yeah. remind me of lemonade, and that's part of why I like this this yeah. pair. <laughs> <laughs> they look really good, and they seem to serve you well on your run. Too, oh yeah, so. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the the cool thing though, and like what I like is that this store, Rochester Run Company, is the only place that has Skechers in the city. So like when I walked yeah. in, I'm like, oh, you got Skechers. So, I mean, that's the first thing I tried on was the the Go Run fours. Like yeah. slap them right on. Yeah. So it's really great you know when people when my coach brought to me uh, talked to me being like oh have you thought about running wearing sketchers and i had only heard of uh kara goucher and meb kovetsky wearing um sketchers and so i was like oh like i haven't even really looked at their line i don't even know what they have like do they only have like really big like ultra marathon type shoes or do they have something more low profile so um it was really great that you know i had to start doing my own research about them and i really did like them as soon as i tried them and mm. lots of people ask me like okay now you're you know they'll say like you're not mm-hmm. you're not on the record now do you actually like your shoes well i have to like my shoes because i have to train in them and i have to race in them and so my answer always is like yes i actually really do like these shoes they're their performance line is new, mm-hmm. but it's developing, and I think they're doing a really great job at what, what they are doing with their shoes, and um, I definitely recommend them for people to try. Yeah, so, and, and that's the thing. you got to spend a lot of time in them, right? You know, yeah, so. exactly. All right, so the Olympics. Let's yeah. talk about those things. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so um, were you freaked out, like, going there? Was it like a, oh, my goodness, it's time to get on the plane freak out mode or was this just another regular trip for you the trip itself felt like another regular trip going somewhere for a few weeks before you go to a race get you know um because when you go to europe you go for a while sometimes get onto the time adjustment and then you know you have you race um the only reason i was a little freaked out before is because right after trials i was suffering from a bit of a foot injury um and so i was freaking out that i lost a little bit of training and that i you know, I was really worried for whatever reason going in with that. But um, luckily, I have lots of sports psychologists who got me out of that <laughs> hump. And so really, once once I was boarding my planes to go down, I was all smiles, like, right. you know, super exciting. They had, um, they gave us like water salutes, like with the fire trucks when we took off to go down, which I guess oh, they that's... only do when like a captain retires. So that was, that makes you wow. feel special. Um, so you just get to... You know, you get down there, you get settled in, you know, you're looking, you're just looking, you're bright eyed and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Right. And I mean, it's got to be a a little bit of starstruck. I mean, you train with the U.S. Olympic team. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're around these people a lot, but once you're down there and you see the banners, those banners are for you, right? Those lights are for you now. It's not like, it's not for those other athletes. It's actually, they're actually your lights. (laughs) I think it's. It's always the most surreal thing is to call myself an Olympian. Um, and I, I have my own mentality and I know other people that have this, that is that you're not really an Olympian until you race or you compete. And so I like didn't change the, any of my social media from saying an Olympic hopeful till after my race. And lots of people were calling me out on that. They're like, no, you're an Olympian. I'm like, no, not until I race, not until I've started my race. Am I actually an Olympian? Did I race and compete at the Olympics? Yeah. But even now, like, you know, my mom will be like, like, you know, she'll say like to somebody like, oh, she's an Olympian. I'm like, oh yeah, I am. Like, <laughs> that's really weird. I guess. Yeah, I am. I, I actually did that. <laughs> I actually was there. It wasn't just a dream. Yeah. <laughs> And so when, when did it sort of become um, different than just another trip? Opening ceremonies was huge. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people would agree saying like that is, that is the moment it becomes very real. You, you know, you're with everybody else, all these other countries waiting to walk in. 
and you walk in and it's just like cameras everywhere and you're just so excited you're all dressed up in your pretty and you're putting mm. opening, opening ceremonies outfit and every year with all these spectacular athletes and you're like wow we're really all here together like there are so many people that just watched us walk in at home like <laughs> there are millions of people who just watch that like billions is, and you're like oh my gosh like this this is real this is happening and like you're gonna compete here and you're gonna walk away and have earned your five rings. <laughs> wow. And so how was the, like the, so you're, you're standing around opening ceremonies. Like, are you like whispering to the people next to you? Like, oh my God, can you believe, like, look at, look at this. this is, or are you just like, just standing there by well, yourself? Well, I think everybody so. is running around taking selfies. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's so taking selfies and pictures and pan, panoramic pictures and videos. And everybody's just so excited. And, uh, and everybody's taking pictures with each other and like wanting to remember every every single thing they can out of it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think you're just so caught up in the magic of it yeah. all. So, what, what's your if you pick five seconds from the opening ceremony? What are the five seconds that like stand out for you? The lighting of the torch. Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. liked the torch. I thought it was mm -hmm. creative what they did. I thought it looked very beautiful in that stadium, and it's so. You know, I'll always remember that guy bringing it down and, mm -hmm. you know, handing it off and lighting it up. I think that was very memorable. And um, them bringing in the Olympic flag to hang up next to mm -hmm. the Brazil flag was very big. Yeah. So. And then you go back to Olympic Village. And are, yeah. you like, are you like, I'm totally sleeping in Olympic Village right now? Uh, no, that's more like, uh, <laughs> like you're just, you're so exhausted. Uh, <laughs> you know, you leave to go down to the Olympic or to go to the opening ceremonies, um, at like 4.30 PM, 5 PM, and you're not getting back till two in the morning. Yeah. Uh, so you're just like, I need to eat something because I didn't have dinner and I need to go to bed and you come back to this. Okay. Now we're back regular trip, regular race, pre-race routine, regular right. tapering routine. Um, so while you're enjoying everything, you still have this mental focus. Mm -hmm. Now, now we up here in you know in Plebsville, we hear story, we hear stories of Olympic Village. Oh we gosh, hear, we hear lots of tales about Olympic Village. Oh yes. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, let's just start with the easy one. Was it as was it as weird and terrible and run down as like all the news stories make it? No, no. Um, it was like any other Southern American place that I've been, you know, yeah. being, I've been to Chile and I would say it's the exact same. Um, they, they did a really nice job. You know, you have 25 big high rise buildings or 27 high rise buildings, 18 floors each. You have to accommodate for every floor and bedroom in there being occupied. And that's not an easy task mm -hmm. and for any country, I think. Yeah. Yep. And so I think that they did you know, they, they changed our sheets, they changed our towels, they cleaned when they could, you know, a lot of time they couldn't go in our rooms if they were locked. So if you locked your room, you couldn't complain that your room wasn't getting cleaned because you made it so that it couldn't be cleaned yeah. for the most part. So, um, I think everybody there was very respectful. All the, all the volunteers were very nice and respectful and were willing to help you in any way they could. And if they couldn't speak English, they would immediately find somebody who could speak English and help you. So I think accommodations, you know, whatever you're expecting, mm -hmm. I don't know why, if, if you had such high expectations, why you would have that, because yeah. you should always know that when you go to a big meet, you have mm. to be adaptable to your surroundings. Yeah. And you sort of somewhat have to be self-sufficient too, yes. right? Like, 
And, uh, and every race I go to, whether I'm in Europe, uh, Asia, North America, South America, I always bring some certain amount of food with me because I'm like, well, what if they don't have that? Or what if they run out with that before I race because I race later in the competition? Yeah. Or, um, so, or you have snacks that you know you really like that you're not going to get down there. So you should mm-hmm. know, just like you said, how to be self-sufficient, how to prepare yourself mm-hmm. for these trips by this point. Yeah. Okay, now the other shenanigans at Olympic Village. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like their water balloon fights, right? And like pie throwing contests and all that. I <laughs> did not hear any of that. Oh, okay. There definitely wasn't, there's definitely a huge line every day for McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's no lie. Uh, there's definitely like you stand in line 30 minutes and wait 30 minutes later to get your food sometimes. Um, it's huge. And I, I too got my McDonald's after I got mine for breakfast before the line got long. <laughs> I, I took a picture and sent it to my family and put it on my Snapchat of my, um, my big back, my smoothie, my McFlurry and my fries for breakfast the morning after my race. Like that was my, <laughs> that was wow. my thing I decided I wanted. So, um, that's very big there. Um, I would say like everybody's just running. I mean, running around, you see people training within the village and it's, you know, there's soccer fields in there, there's basketball courts, there's tennis courts, and everybody's just, you know, hanging out, talking, conversing. Um, being in the weight room in the Olympic Village, it is so hectic. Um, I only went in there a few times and it was so busy and you're with all these other people and especially being in there with like the weightlifters, you're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't belong in here. I need to leave. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of those gymnasts, I mean, they, yeah. they lift a lot of weight too. Yeah. Of you definitely get, I definitely am someone who's gym shy to begin with. And then when I'm in there with them, I'm like, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never heard that term, but I'm totally gym shy. Yep. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm gym, gym phobic almost. <laughs> um, so leading up to your race, you're trying to stick to your normal routine. Do you got like the rabble rousers around you? Cause their event just finished and they're coming now. They're ready to party for the rest of the Olympics. Is there yeah. like that kind of stuff going on? Definitely. Cause I remember that from like high school and college, like you're in a hotel with a field trip of 60 people and everybody's on a different schedule and stuff like that. Yep. There's definitely people playing music a little louder off their balconies some nights. And, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I think people are respectable knowing that, Hey, it's like 10 PM. Somebody might have to be competing at, you know, be up by six, yeah. you know, let's turn this off or their coaches were at least able to go in and ask them to <laughs> quiet down. I would say most people are very respectable of that. Um, and I'm somebody who can almost sleep through anything and sleep anywhere. So that nice. really that it doesn't, doesn't affect yep. me too much. All right. So, um, now your big event, right? Like, yeah. You're ready to go. Like, are you, are you, you're not as nervous as you were at qualifiers because mm-hmm. you're already there now. Are you, do you, did you go with a goal? Did you go with like expectations of how you were going to do in the race or just kind of like with my, my small injury I was having, I had to kind of adjust some expectations. And, um, I would say there was like a part of me that was carrying a bit of a, uh, a rock on my shoulder of, of what my expectation should be in balancing between these really high and not setting these super low. And so I kind of walked in telling myself like, you need to be happy by saying whatever the result is, you need to be able to walk away and say you did the best you could that day, that you raced the smartest, the hardest, the best you could that day. And if you can't do that, then you can be disappointed. But if you can say that, then you can't be disappointed. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I kind of changed my goals towards. as I was progressing through the race and seeing how it was going, I kind of was like making a goal of like, come on, maybe we can get top 30. 
Um, but I ended up getting finishing 34th, which was still pretty good, top half of the field, um, not bad for my first Olympics. And um, I think for our conditions were very humid and hot and windy that um, times weren't fast. And I, I wish my time, you know, I think like, oh, if maybe I pushed a little harder there or not. But there's always those would have, could have, should have's in races. And I mean, I walked away pretty happy being like, all right, we got through, there were no calls. I didn't get any warnings. I finished mm -hmm. and I got in the top or half of the field, like, and I pushed really hard my last couple of kilometers to mm -hmm. really catch some, like those last like handful of people. So I was pretty so proud you picked, of that. So you picked off some people at the end. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's always got to feel good. Yeah. You know? That's where that cross country mentality comes back in, you know, like <laughs> yeah. you're just catching each person and yep. coming off the turn really hard. And yeah, that's where that comes back in and plays. And I can hear past coaches yelling certain things at me like push, push, push. <laughs> yeah. And um, so the winner actually won by like two seconds, right? Yeah, like, I think I mean, so. It was like super close. Yes. So that, I mean, I can, I could just imagine like you're two seconds behind this person and you're like, how many fouls do I have? Cause all I could just run these three steps. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody is intentionally, I like to think we're not, I know I not, I know I'm not, but I don't intentionally, I'm like, Oh, let me run this turn. Let me run this station or yeah. let me run to the finish. Cause it's, it's never worth it. Yeah. It's not really like in the spirit, but you're two seconds away from an Olympic gold. Like I think you're so tired too at that point that you don't even think about yeah. running. You just think of, I need to finish. <laughs> yeah. Now your, your PR, I, I was reading this. I, I tried to do some research. Uh, so your PR is the second fastest uh, America all time. Uh -huh. Right. So that's something. Yeah. That's, pre that's pretty neat. Yeah, it is pretty exciting. And I also have the American record in the indoor 5,000 meter race walk. Um, so, you know, that was actually set here at the RIT meet that they have in uh, the holiday classic. That wow, they that's, time. that's super cool. Yeah. So that it's like so my... So you come home and you set an American record in a 5K. <laughs> yes. So wow. um, I definitely, I, I would say the girl that has the um, American record right now in the 20K. We're teammates, um, we're coached by the same person, and you know we have that, that rivalry in a way of that, you know she knows I'm getting quicker, so she wants to be faster and keep setting the bar higher, but I'm also like, no, I wanna be the one with the record now, so. Um, Your time is done. Yeah, so I think that it's really, it's really great in that sense that we're able to push each other in that way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yes, I am aiming to hopefully eventually get that record, but you know, if she makes it even faster then you know, it's, you gotta then keep pushing yourself even harder. And then your record's just going to be that much better when you get it. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. <laughs> so, you know, there's definitely things that, um, with training and with setting goals that you have to be like, well, is this a realistic goal or is this not? Mm -hmm. So, um, right now being just, under a minute or 40 something seconds, um, slower than the American record. I feel like, you know, that's almost only two or three seconds faster a kilometer. Like yeah. you could possibly do this. You oh, know? you dropped six minutes in a year. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not that those big jumps aren't going to happen as much anymore. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sure I'm getting closer yeah. towards my peaking time, but, um, and your PR is 135? No, 131.42. For yep. 20K. Yes. It's fast. <laughs> it's averaging 435 a kilometer, I believe. I, I love that Close you do two. everything in kilometers, too. That's <laughs> when we were running today, you're like, oh, that was like a 430 kilometer. And I'm like, yeah, or a nine, uh, an 830 mile. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, but you race in kilometers, you so to. you should and, be well, training and, in kilometers. Well, and we do. When we when I run, you know, um, a 10K, yeah. you run a 10K, but you still are like, okay, that's, you know, eight-minute miles. Yeah. But I don't know why we haven't let it all go. Well, but, this is the U.S., and yeah. we're the only ones that don't use the metric system. Yeah. So. so I have an intro. Why? So here's one that's weird to me. Have you figured out why they call it the 5,000-meter or the 10,000-meter or the 3,000-meter instead of just the 5K? Has something to do with K? it being run on the track that it's not exact. Okay. If it's on the track, it's so a 10,000 or 5,000. But if it's on the road, it's a 5K, 10K. It has okay. something to do with it being on the track. Just so like it's actual meters. Just like if it's, I mean, like people say, oh, you're running the mile, but you could really just be running a 1600. Yeah. Because you have to add on those extra few meters. So right. it, I think there, it has something That's to do with that. That's why they call it a 5,000 meter. Man, see, I'm learning today. Because, yeah, the track's in meters. Yeah. It's not yep. measured out on a kilometer course yep. I'm or feeling something like that. I'm feeling much smarter today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, what do you want to talk about now? I guess uh, closing ceremony. Did you go see any other events? How about oh, that? Oh, yeah. I got to see quite a few events. Um, I got to check out boxing. That was my first time ever seeing boxing, and that was pretty intense. Like The crowd really gets into it and rattled up, and I was pretty excited about that. I got to see um, men's gymnastics finals and women's gymnastics finals, and watching those wow. girls and men were so incredible like I was, like the team finals or the yeah the team finals yeah oh, not wow. the individual all arounds no the team finals and that was really awesome i also got to see um men's high dive synchronized diving yeah the synchronized high dive and uh we, we had men that got silver in it and that yeah. was incredible too like watching the teams and right. seeing what they had to do like looking at the board it, it would tell you what their their dive was supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like and you look at them and you're like oh my gosh this is so cool i took so many videos of it yeah well you know that was an interesting one because um in the olympics oftentimes a big deal is made of the the uh, women's volleyball outfits I think the men's high dive outfits <laughs> are gave, more scandalous. They gave them a run for their money this uh, year. I'm pretty sure. I, that's, it makes me so sad when they fixate on stuff like that. Fixate on what they're actually doing playing, not what they're wearing, their makeup, their hair, whatever. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. I think the men this year gave, they gave, they gave uh, news stories for years. It's so interesting. The media, like I, I loved seeing how, um, you know, the one, the, what was she in? Um, there was a girl who meddled and she was like from the Chicago area and it said like Chicago football player's oh wife, you know, meddled and you're like, what? And that then, was the worst. Uh, and they, and they, their retraction was, sorry, we tried to play the local angle a little bit too much. You know, uh, like, so yeah, the media definitely has a way of spinning things and, um, I was very sad at how they were attacking Brazil because it's, it was a beautiful area and it may not, you know, it wasn't going to be like London. It wasn't going to be like Beijing. It's, it's not going be to be like what Tokyo can probably do. Yeah, it's going to be its own thing. It's its own thing. And I think you just have to appreciate it for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right, then how about uh, closing ceremonies? The, the big goodbye. How was that? Well, it was raining. <laughs> so that, that was fun. Um, but it was, it was another great experience. Like, you know, you, you get this sense of like, tomorrow everybody's going to leave and I may never see any of these people ever again. And, you know, the next cycle starts if you want it to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're, 
what they what I've always been cautioned about when training is something my coach always prepared me for was the Olympic depression. Mm -hmm. And so when you're on such a high and you're riding that cloud nine for so long, you come back home or you come back into training and you're, you're just depressed because you're so used to being so happy about something Mm -hmm. and you have to start all over again and you never know, like nothing's guaranteed if in four years you'll make it again. And so, um, I would say when I first got back to Rochester, I felt that a little bit, but luckily being with my family and friends and you know having all the local support, I haven't felt it too much. So I wonder if I'll feel it a little more when I go back to San Diego in a, mm-hmm. in, in a week or so here, um, if it's gonna be much more difficult for me to kind of refocus back to what I want to do. But um, closing ceremonies, like, besides it raining, it was fun. Like you're just enjoying and everybody's just happy to be done and everybody's ready to party and just celebrate. Yeah. We have, um, in ultra running, we call it the ultra blues, Yeah, you know, and I'm sure it's, it's magnitudes lower than the Olympics, but it's the same idea of you train up to this giant event. And it's been funny. This is with the, the last three episodes has been a lot of the podcast have all been talking about the ultra blues or the, okay. you know, like just it's over. And we did the radio show and that was talking about it's over. And then we had a talk at Medved where somebody was doing like post-race um, blues and taper anxiety. And so like this feels like something I've been talking about for a a good month now mm-hmm. and the fact that I DNF'd my 100k oh. goal race and it's like it's all sort of, it's all there yeah and and you feel like the like the party's over you know yes. and like and I wonder like you brought up I wonder if it's you're extending it a little bit more you're extending the party you're coming yeah. home hanging out with family but then you're gonna go to sunny San Diego <laughs> and you're gonna you'll be renewed and reinvigorated the train right for for 2020 right? yeah I'm hoping for 2020 like I said nothing's guaranteed so unless you know something bad happens but in 2013 I was hit by a cyclist and broke four ribs and it didn't stop me for 2016 so <laughs> I think that <laughs> wow I think Walker gets hit by cyclists huh? yeah so I think that, um, I definitely think that there's this great possibility that it can happen. And I don't know how much faster I'm going to get. I don't know how much faster the people behind me or anybody who joins the sport is going to come in being. Mm-hmm. But um, for right now, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in a good spot in my career, and um, I'm going to try and ride it out as long as I can, I guess. Um, this is not an opportunity everybody gets. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, part of it's because we don't have a lot of depth in race walking. I'm sure there's people out there with far more potential than I have. And we could pay, possibly be meddling already if, you know, this was more mainstream in even just track and field here in the USA. But um, right now it's not. And that's also a goal in the next four years that I think um, my coach has been trying to do and my training partners have tried to do is make it more prevalent, give it good media and get people more aware about what the sport mm-hmm. is, especially younger people and say, hey, like, I know it looks kind of weird, but... Mm-hmm. It could really pay off. Well, we could have a whole new rash of race walkers here in <laughs> Rochester now, you know. Yes. Especially if they know that the RIT is a fast track. You yes, know? They I get love up. the RIT indoor track. That's like, at I the, the grew one up at the running court. on that. Oh, the other one. Okay, so have you seen the Gordon Fieldhouse track? Yeah, that. Yeah, I grew up okay. running on that in indoors. Yeah, yeah. I love that track. I love that field house. We actually mm-hmm. had our high school graduation in that field house, so it's... <laughs> It's always like, feels like whenever I go back there, like coming full circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, wow. So you're here, you're leaving soon to go back to San Diego. You're not starting a training cycle like right away, right no, after that, No, no. Right? I'll still have like another two and a half weeks off. Um, it's weird. 
I'm at about two weeks now, like tomorrow would mark my two weeks almost since I raced. And now um, I'm wow. at two weeks, two weeks of being off. And it really feels like I was not there two weeks ago. It feels like a say. really long time ago I was there. It feels like it's been a month. But then part of me is like, no, you really raced two weeks ago. You should be relaxing still and recuperating, taking that mental break. But I think one, once you're an athlete, you always want to keep going. Like it's very easy yeah. for me to take the first week off and do absolutely nothing. And then after that first week, I'm like, oh, I want to go hiking. I want to go paddle boarding. I want to go running. I want to go yeah. rearrange my parents' house because I have way too much energy. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, we're doing some interior decorating. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure they would love that. And then you go off to San Diego. You know, yeah, and, they and get, then they're, they're, they're happy to get rid of me. They're like, whew, she wore out her welcome. Yeah. And you get to live with your designs. Yeah. I think that'd be sweet. Um, wow, man. Yeah, we've covered quite a bit. Um, what else do you want to talk about? Anything? Anything we didn't talk about? Um, I mean, I just want to mention for sure the amount of support I've gotten through the Rochester community. One of the biggest things I want to throw out there and talk about for a second is um, there is a... A grant program for Olympic athletes here in Rochester called the Greater Rochester Amateur Athletic Federation, or GRAF for short. <laughs> um, but they have been a huge part in supporting me financially. Um, and they have supported, I think, at least eight or nine other Olympic hopefuls or Olympic athletes this year coming out of Rochester, wow. the Rochester area. And so um, if I can just like, you know, encourage people to look them up and to donate, yeah. you know, even the smallest amount, $10, $5, that mm-hmm. that 100% goes towards us, the athletes, and it makes a world of difference. You know, you, I had to go to get my second fastest time in the U.S. ever. I had to go to Japan to race, and that's not, that's not covered by USA Track and Field. That's out of my own pocket. And so when I'm already struggling to work part-time and train full-time and pay all my bills, it's not necess- it's not necessarily the easiest thing to say oh let's just hop a plane and go to japan or go to asia yeah. or go to europe or wherever you're looking to go so um i just want to kind of throw that out there for people to look into them and spread the word because i know the olympics happens every four years but it's four years we have to work to get to that yeah. point. It's not like we just magically say, oh, it's 20, it's 2019, I want to make an Olympic team. Time, time to get fast. No, it's, yep. it's a four-year well, process. Well, we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes and people can yeah, check out. Yeah, I would appreciate so. that. Yeah, that's definitely one thing I want to throw out there. And I just want to throw out that, you know, just my family, friends, and my high school have been so, so supportive and they, you know, my coach has said, like, you know, I cried when you didn't make it in 2012 and I cried when you made it in 2016. And so <laughs> it's uh, making your coach cry. I know. Yeah, it's it's an emotional ride. And anybody who wants to be a part of the roller coaster is more than welcome to <laughs> <laughs> just hop on, just hop on and, and put your arms up and enjoy it. <laughs> I had so much fun talking with Miranda. And honestly, I feel like I learned a bunch about the Olympic experience. If you couldn't tell, I had so many more questions about the Olympic Village experience. I think I could have gone uh, quite deep down that rabbit hole. I don't know, for some reason it just it reminds me of high school field trips or, you know, I, I went to Italy once with my high school and we were all in hotels and traveling different cities and kind of got used to that that world of like traveling from town to town and groups of uh, kids or young people, I guess, if you will, taking over big blocks of hotels and stuff. It, I don't know. It seems like a really interesting, vibrant place to me. But I think we stopped at the right place uh, talking about Olympic Village. Anyways, 
Uh, the other part I enjoyed about our conversation was that you could just hear the, the importance of family and uh, the local support of the local community uh, coming through in her story. She, uh, it really means a lot to her to be, to be uh, closely knit and tightly associated with her family and her community. Miranda also gave some solid advice, including listen to your mother and uh, trust your gut. So uh, thanks for that. And special thanks to John for letting us record in the uh, store. Um, so, and you heard Miranda, if you want to uh, be an Olympian, you have to keep on top of your recovery regimen. You also have to be pretty darn good at whatever event you choose. But let's focus on that recovery regimen for now. I know no better person to help you with your recovery regimen than our second sponsor, longtime sponsor, Josh Stratton, LMT. Josh is a licensed massage therapist who knows treatments that active athletes need. Located in Winton Place, inside Sports PT, Josh offers all sorts of different customized treatment massages to help you uh, stay on top of your training regimen and get moving again. So use the code POSEIDON when booking during September for $15 off a 60-minute massage. That's right, 15 bucks off. So um, let me tell you, I always like to share a little bit about my recent uh, experiences with Josh. Uh, I ran 100K this past weekend, the Pine Creek Challenge in Wellsboro, PA, and it was flatty flat. I mean, flat as flat could be. Not even any room for a puddle on this course. Uh, so when I went in to visit Josh for my treatment this week, he asked a little bit about the race and uh, then quickly started to work on my hip flexors. See, with a flat course that has no variability in the terrain, the same muscles get used over and over again, really, without, without getting a break. Josh knows this. He also knows that I often complain of tight hip flexors. Put those things together and viola, tight hips, requiring some TLC. Josh knows what's up. So, needless to say, after my treatment, I won't have to miss my weekly salsa dancing lesson. Hold for laughter. So, anyways, head out to his Facebook page at facebook.com slash LMT, or find that link in the show notes, those aforementioned handcrafted show notes, to learn more and to uh, book an appointment. Tell him you heard about it here on this podcast and use this month's secret code Poseidon. He'll give you 15 bucks off a 60-minute massage. Yeah, what's normally 65 bucks for an hour will be 50 bucks. So, Thanks to Josh for continuing to sponsor the show. And I'll push those show notes one more time because inside there is some things that Miranda talked about, uh, like that Greater Rochester Athletic uh, Amateur Athletic Foundation and a pretty picture of those uh, lemonade sketchers, as well as information on the sponsors. Uh, you can also find links to our Strava Run Group and the Patreon page. Thank you to all of this month's Patreon supporters. Your continued financial support helps me keep improving this podcast. Really, um, big, big improvements over the year because of Patreon supporters. So thank you. If you look forward to this podcast each week and it inspires or educates or entertains you regularly, uh, consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Check out the homepage and click the Patreon link. Please know that any amount is appreciated. Thank you. And if you want to chat about this episode with other listeners or just simply want to share your Olympic Village stories, 
uh, drop a line on the Facebook page or shout at me on Twitter at runinsideout. Also, consider joining our Running Inside Out Slack, where we talk about all manner of things from recent episodes to our latest and greatest run, and even random things like if you invent a food product where you mix equal amounts of butter and I can't believe it's not butter, what exactly do you name it? Uh, If that sounds like your kind of place, send me an email with the subject line Slack invite and I'll get it right out to you. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and telling your friends. Thanks for sharing your stories and for getting out there and creating more stories. Until next episode, be thankful for what you've been given, be proud of what you've achieved, and let go of what you've lost. See you out there.